Good evening. Baruch Hashem, today we had good news that Netanyahu is a victor, and let's hope it holds up with everyone. And as I told people in Israel who called me, this was not a political event. And many of them answered me and said, of course it was political, it was an election, it was a whole months and months of, of trying to get people to sway them this way, that way. So I explained myself. Eretz Yisrael was very much in Sakona. They were at the doorstep of passing laws to wipe out the Koilulim by virtue of not allowing the men to be there and be subsidized. It would have destroyed the family and it would have destroyed the learning process. They wanted the reform rabbis to be Masadre Kedushin and to give Gitin, which would have destroyed the fabric of Klal Yisrael. So as Reb Chaim Kanievsky Zechat Tzadik V'Kadosh Levrocha said when he said it's a mitzvah and chiyah to vote because he held that it was Yiddishkeit and Torah's emes which was at stake. So it was a lot more than just a political event and Baruch Hashem HaKadosh Baruch who helped and all the religious parties will be able to have their say, will be able to continue their tradition of Torah true Jews as they have been for all of the years under his leadership. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Vayera. And I want to open, everyone is familiar that three angels that look like men were walking in the heat of day while Avram Avinu at 99 had just uh, circumcised himself and was recuperating. And you could imagine in that situation, no air conditioning and it was boiling hot to seek and want so badly to have Archim. As he saw them, jumped up and went by Yoritz Legrosum, he ran to meet them, that it was no easy task, but his thirst for the mitzvah and for the midah which personifies the essence of who he is, Avram Avinu, that prevailed, and that was the atmosphere with which he greeted them. Now, he gave them, as the Pasuk delineates, he said, first of all, you mind, take a little bit of water, and I will give you some bread and sorry Menu took the finest flour and the best and as Rashi says Avram Avinu wanted to give them tongue which today is a delicacy and certainly then it was a very big delicacy 
And Rashi says he even gave them charbel, he gave them mustard. So it was popular then, not just 30 years ago or 60 years ago in Brooklyn or in Detroit or in Montreal, but he gave them a fabulous suda. Now in school, when let's say this parsha is taught, and a child picks up their hand and asks that how could it be that it says butter and milk they put fleshics. So the question is how did Abraham Avinu serve milchics and fleshics together? And we answered the child that he first gave them the milchics and then he gave them the fleshes. From the Kubalim it says that when Avram Avinu went out to find a choice cow to give them, he wasn't happy with what he found. And since Avram Avinu was the one who wrote and was the Mechaber of Sefer Hayetzira, the book of all the secrets of creation, he was capable to say a few things and down from heaven appeared a cow on the earth, fat and tender and just what he wanted. So the Mekubalim say that the halacha of Basar Bechal, of Milchitz and Fleishitz, is only, it was given to human beings in this world. And if you have a natural cow that was born to parents, that is included under the umbrella of not eating Milchitz and Fleishitz, because there are halachas about Milchitz and Fleishitz, and this is a regular born cow, but if you had supernatural power like Avram Avinu had and he was able to create the new cow, they said that that did not include and encompass the halachas of Basar Becholov. So he could have even served it to them together because it didn't have the halacha of Basar Becholov. And they say, that's why the Pasuk says, Uven habokar asher osa, which he made. It doesn't say, Uven habokar asher shachat, or asher heichin, which he prepared. It says, asher osa, that he made it. And that is how they explain the milchiks and fleishiks together. Now, the parsha opens with Vayera Elov Hashem Ba'elone Mamre Bahu Yoshev Pesach Ha'ohel Kachom Hayom. And then the second Pasuk says, Vayisa Eina Vayar. He picked up his eyes and he saw Vinesh Losha Anoshem. There's three people. Nitzavim Olav. Vayar. He saw Vayaratzlik Rosa Mipesacha Ohel Vayishtachu Ortsa. 
that he ran out to them to greet them and to bring them in. Now, the Mepharshim asks, why the double expression Vayar? The Pasuk says in the beginning, Vayisa Eina Vayar, he picked up his eyes and he saw at a distance the and they were Nitzavim Allah. By the time he picked himself up, they were already right in front of him. Vayar, again Vayar, asked the Mepharshim, why the double Vayar? We said in the beginning of the Pasuk, Vayar. So they say, because many people, when you have a mitzvah at hand, you're thirsty for it, you're eager, the zest and the zeal and the excitement is fresh on hand and you can't wait to do the mitzvah. But when things a few minutes or a half an hour pass and you're about to do the mitzvah, the excitement begins to evaporate, disappear. It isn't the same level of chuka, of desire and thirst to do the mitzvah. But say the Mephorshim, that the reason that it says twice Vayar is to tell you that when the first Vayar, he first saw them, he became so exuberant. And then we say Vayar again to attach it to the first Vayar, that he had the same level of exuberance as, as the first Vayar he had by the second Vayar. The same excitement to do the mitzvah, he did not, it did not wane, it did not begin to disappear or lessen in the exuberant level. Now, we know that the Gemara says, the Medrash says, that when it discusses the four minim, the Esrig, the Lulav, and the Hadassim, and the Aravos, so it says, Esrig, Zu Avram. So in the Gemara, there's a discussion, why would Avram Avinu be compared and likened to the Esrig? So the Gemara says that there was unusual uniqueness about the Esrig, that it's Hador Be'ilono Meishana Lishana that most fruit, all fruits, after the season, they begin to fall off, they begin to rot, they begin to fade away, but not the Esser. The Esser is on the tree 12 months a, day, a year, says the Gemara, and it does not begin to fade in the slightest way, in any which way. So it shows constancy and consistency. And that was what the Gemara says that Avram Avinu was likened to the Yesri. Because when he wanted to do a mitzvah and became so exuberant about the mitzvah, it was the same exuberance two hours later. The constancy and the consistency level 
remain just like at the very, very beginning. Now, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Herkin, has asked his Talmudim, which Pasuk do they think is the most outstanding Pasuk if they had to pick one in Kola Torah Kula? So the Gemara says that Ben Zoyma said, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. And many of us, if we were asked that question, we would also say Shema Shema is indeed a unique, rare, and remarkable with tremendous distinction. A Pasuk, people died by Shema Yisrael. I mean, these, these were their, their last words. And that's what Ben Zoma answered his Rebbe. And then Ben Nanis said, I hold that if you have, we're living in a world with people, and if there is that unity of spirit, and there is that love and kindness for our next fellow man in our community or our neighbor, that's the most important pussy, that there be harmony. And then, Reb Shimon ben Pazi came and said that he held that Esakeves Echod Ta'aseva Boker. We know that 365 days a year, the weekdays, Yom Kippur, Shabbos, there was the special Tomid Shalshacher, there was a Tomid brought every morning. And it was 365 days a year. And you brought one in the afternoon, which was mincha. And the halacha was that if one was missing, let's say one day they couldn't find the exact carbon that was perfect to bring it as a tamad shel shachar, you could still bring the tamad shel bena or bayim. And Rav Chaim Soloveitchik discusses this, that he said, but there is one exception, and that's if the first day that they had to bring it in the Mishkan, they didn't have two. For the first day, you didn't bring it. Because the beginnings have to be perfect. A person builds a house, and he gets married, he can't. I am so tired, I'm so exhausted. If he doesn't, on the right foot, begin the atmosphere of the house with orchem, with learning, with tzedakah, cheerfulness, with simcha, with that, then it's not going to happen so easily because you already set the trend and it's off base. So... Reb Shimon ben Pazi said that he liked the Pasuk about Es HaKeves And his Rebbe, when he got done hearing Shema Yisrael, V'yohavta L'Reach HaKemocha and Es HaKeves HaKotasavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavavav
And we asked each one of them, which Pusik in the Torah do you think is the most outstanding? I don't think, I think many would choose Shema Yisrael. I think many would choose Yehavta Lareach HaKamocha, but I don't think anybody would choose Es HaKeves Echod Tasevachoka that you have to bring the carbon in the morning and in the afternoon. It's a Pusik, it's a mitzvah, it's every day of the year. But to say that that was the moat and here Lazar said, to his Talmud, Reb Shimon Benpazi, I agree with you. Your Pasuk is that. So the Mephoshim say, what was so special about this? It was because it was constant and consistent. And that was Avram Avinu. That was Avram Avinu, the Esri, that's Hador Be'ilan, Mishana Lashana, 12 months a year. You can see a beautiful esri. It doesn't wither, it doesn't wane, it doesn't rot, it doesn't decide. It's there the whole year. And that's the reason why Rabbi Elizabeth Rabbi Herkinus chose, because Ayyid has to know that we are always in the trend of taking on good things. The problem is the 10th day or the 100th day. And we can't maintain that constancy, that consistency, that the person, oh, I'm going to learn a Mishnah every day in memory of my father, my grandfather, whoever. After the 12th day, he started missing two days here, four days there. At the end of the year, he barely did a, a quarter of the year, the Mishnayas, because it was just fleeting by. When he took on the resolution to do it, he was fully with it. And he wants to do it. But he allowed the distractions in the name of, oh, urgent, important, crisis, to, to sway him away. And he never, ever continued the consistency of beginning as he took it on and to maintain it every day of the year. That's the Vayar, and again Vayar with the same enthusiasm, did not lessen one iota. Now, Avram Avinu said, Yukachna ma'at mayim. Here he was going, he gave a tongue. A tongue could feed 30 or 40 people. A tongue of a cow was gigantic. And here he got a separate tongue for each one of them. And then the meat he took from his that he had created. Or the Medrash says that when he came out to take a cow, the most choice cow ran away, and he ran after the cow to Hevron, from where he was, which would take a human being five days to get there, ten days. And he always had Kvitzadar, so he got there, and he took and carried the cow back, because that was the choice one. But that's not like the Admonim, the, who I quoted who said he made his own. But here he was making and Surah took the finest flour that could be made, used. And here when it came to water, he said, take a yukachna, 
ma'ad, a little bit of water. Why? He was being super gracious with everything else. So why now to the water only a little? So the Mephoshim say that every single thing that Avram Avinu did in his life was transported, was instilled, etched into the essence of his children until Mashiach. And what did he want to do by saying, that many people, someone comes up and says, you know, I just got to town. I haven't eaten for a day. Could I have breakfast or lunch in your house? And the person, you know, I would really love to have you, but I don't have anything in the house. I'm like, my house is half empty. Uh, and he answers him and says, I mean, I do have a little bit of tuna fish. I do have a little bit of egg salad. Oh, that would be wonderful. Avram Avinu wanted that when it comes to Hachnasa you don't have to have duck and a rib steak to have a guest come. You can have a meager fresh bread with something and a few vegetables and how you create atmosphere with smiling, with laughter, with pleasantness. That will have the guest happy, comfortable, and eating the simplest of foods and leave very happy that he came. You don't need the fanciest of everything. Means he gave them the fanciest, but he wanted for his children that they should know that in doing the hachnosis orchem, it does not require for you, it's only a mice something to keep the guest away because the mitzvah is so unbelievable. So therefore, to discourage the host, he's thinking, what are you going to do, bring a herring from three days ago? Or some bread that's in a plastic bag that maybe is beginning to, to get hard? You bring the guest in, and you'll look in the cupboard, you'll see something's there, a can of sardines, a can of tuna. Something is there that may not be the fanciest, but you can still be Mekayim, the beautiful mitzvah of hospitality, in the grandest and most gracious way, without the most expensive and delicious items to put on the table. And that's why Avram Avinu said, Yukachna ma'at mayim. That for the, for the rest of the foods, he was super above, above and beyond. But by the water, he wanted to be able to have the effect 3,000 years later that when one of his great, 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 great grandchildren would be confronted with the mitzvah of Achnasasorachim, that he would do it with a graciousness and fervor knowing that he doesn't have the best, but he's going to make the experience as positive as possible. Now, we know that the story of Sodom and Amora took place in our center. Hashem decided that's it for the world. Noyach is wonderful, but after even destroying the world, there were five cities that were terrible. Sodom, Amorah, Mitzar, there were five cities that were to be destroyed. 
because they were behaving terribly. So Hashem said, Hamachasa ani me'avram, am I going to hide from my beloved Kiyadatim? I love my Avram, am I not going to tell him what I'm about to do? So Hashem told him. So Avram answered and said, and what, you're going to destroy? And let's say there's 50 tzaddikim. Oh, if there's 50 tzaddikim, I won't destroy. I'll keep those tzaddikim alive. And if there's not 50, 45, I won't destroy. And how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? How about even 10? Just a minion. So Hashem said, even the minion, I will not destroy it. But there's no 10 there. And at the end, Hashem indeed destroyed. And Avram Avinu was not successful in even one person being saved. Well, I shouldn't say that because the, one of the malochim that came was to save Lot. And Lot indeed was saved because of Avram. But it wasn't something because he was now asking save someone. Lot would have been saved. As I said to you in a previous year, that the Medrash says what happened to Lot. He was such a tzaddik gomer. And the Medr says he was a tzaddik. But when he went with his uncle Avram to Mitzrayim, he began to join 42nd Street. And he came back, Avram was 90 days in Mitzrayim, and Lot came back ready for Sodom. Even though the Pusik says that he said that it's very fertile, the landscaping, the lush, greenery and everything uh, and that's why I want to go there for my cattle be good but Rashi brings the Chazal that's what he said but in his mind that was not the reason he was going there because it had enough 42nd street and that's what he wanted and he got it when he was there so Avram didn't save anyone <clears throat> so Kadmonim asked this question. First, before I say that question, I want to pose a different question. I mean, it seems almost like Hashem was teasing Avram. In other words, after he said, would you save if there's fifth the first time? HaKadosh Baruch could have answered Avram, save your breath, I know you want to save the people, at the end they're going to be destroyed because there's nobody there worthy of being saved. But he engaged him, almost like to tease him, well, if there's 50, oh yeah, I won't do it. How about 45? No, I, I, I won't do it. But I don't think there is. And, okay, so but how about if there's only 40? It seems like there was a dialogue of, I'm using maybe the wrong word, but of teasing him. And at the end, he didn't save one. So the Mepharshim are curious. Why did Hashem not just tell him point blank at the beginning? And the answer is, 
because we would look like at the parsha like Avram failed. And for every generation that a yid will beg Hashem for something, it's going to have its effectiveness. For instance, that if someone's dying in a hospital, and the family comes and they're crying and they're taking out the money and putting it in tzedakah and standing there with their tillim and their and they go on for 30 days, day and night groups, different groups coming at different hours and begging and davening it, and the man dies. You may think that somebody's going to say, oh, after everything we did, and then he died, it was a waste of time. It was chas v'shol. Because the Zayar Kodesh says that when a person offers a very sincere, heart-rendering tefillah, it never goes wasted. So you may have thought because the person in the hospital died, it was wasted. If it was sincere and pure, it's brought up to Shemayim and put in a file cabinet. And it could be 50 years later, his grandson is crossing the street and a drunk driver comes and misses him by two inches. But really, he was supposed to be killed by this driver. But because they pulled out that tefillah that they were dominating in the hospital to save a relative, it turned out to be his grandson. That's the relative. Because no sincere, pure tefillah goes to waste. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu wasn't teasing Avram. He allowed him to go through this dialogue of begging and pleading and asking and that because it carved the way for all future Jewish generations to sincerely daven for something and that it never be lost and that it be put away and at a later date but a person doesn't know what's going on. We're not behind the curtain. We're not in the driver's seat. We're sitting way in the back of the bus and we can't see everything right in front where the driver could look down and see a two-year-old running out into the street and he abruptly stops the bus and the man sitting there in the back with the <laughs> coffee has all over him the coffee and everything. So... He's wondering what the driver is crazy. The driver is drunk. He didn't see the two-year-old that came running out, and that's why he engaged him in the dialogue and the back and forth to carve the way for the future generations who may desperately need in a moment of sakana that fila. But I started to tell you before that after this story is over and the Malachim escorted Lot out and there was supposed to be, when they turned around, it wasn't just Sodom, it was Amora, it was all these five cities that were, and Lot took a look and said, Mitzar, you're destroying that too? I'm begging you, don't destroy it. And the Malachim said, oh, you don't want us to destroy it and we'll leave all the people alive? Okay, we're going to do it. 
Avram Avinu, who was begging for one person to be saved, was not saved. And Lo comes and points, I, want to, I'm not, I don't want to go there where you want me to go, I want to go there. And that's Mitzur. And Mitzur is going to be the strike, please don't do it. And, it. and they didn't. Why in the world did they acquiesce and agree and give in to Lot when Avram Avinu couldn't even get one? And they say an astonishing thing, Kadmonia. When the two angels came to Lot's house, the city heard that he had a guest there, two guests. That was a death penalty in Sodom, to have a guest. So they surrounded his house and they wanted desperately to find, they became, they were blinded, the Pasuk They became blind. They couldn't see where the door was. Pasuk says it. And Lot went out and said to these gangsters that, please don't bother my guests. I'll even give you, the Meshuggan offered his own daughters. But he saved them. Now, they didn't know that they were angels, so they really couldn't do anything to them. But they looked like, they looked like regular men. So, ostensibly Lot saved them. The miracles that happened was because he was Avram Avinu's nephew. And you see that two of the daughters listened to Lot. Lot said, listen, I lived in Avram Avinu's house and angels hung around there. So if they're here and they say that this city is going to be destroyed, you can believe the Pasuk says two sons and two of the, there were four girls, two of the four girls' husbands. It was the joke of the century. The city's going to be destroyed. The Pasuk says, that it was like a joke in the eyes of his son, two sons-in-law. So they stayed and they were destroyed, of course. And the two daughters went with Lot. And that's how he ended up in a cave with them and the whole story there. But a Mashiach came out from that story. But Avram Avinu asked HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Lot asked to save the people. And who did he ask to save Mitzar? The two Malachim, not Hashem. Mm-hmm. And because of our chorus, I told that he was putting his life on the line for them, they had to respond to his bakrasha, and they left the whole city standing. But Avram Avinu, who asked Hashem, there was not a there was not an issue of hakoras atov. That Hashem felt, you know, he's living his life. I love him, and he's loyal to me, and he's everything. But there wasn't an immediate cause of Hakoras Hatov, like by the angels who were just for saved, their lives were saved because he thought they were regular people. And, and he gave in and saved the city of Mitzar. And 
and that was an unbelievableness. What do we see from this? That Hakaris Atov, somebody who does us a favor. I was the shatchan for one of Rav Pam's sons, Rav David in Toronto, and his wife is Malki Friedman, and Rabbi Friedman, I'm a Detroiter, and one summer he asked me, maybe you have a suggestion for my daughter Malki. So I said, how about my Chavr David Pan? And the Shidduch came, and today, 50 years later, they have 15 children, Bali Ayanur, and 100 Aina Club, and that. So Rav Pan, who was one of the two Machatonim, David's father, Every time he saw me, he said, we are so thankful for putting David and Malki together for the Shidduch. So at one point, after 20 years of Rapan thanking me, I said, the Rosh Hashiva thanked me so many times. And I know the Rosh Hashiva appreciated, was happy, and he's happy now. He's answered me and said, we are so happy that I will thank you for the next 20 years. Hakaras Hatov. That we have to realize that when someone does something for us and the mere fact we say thank you does not mean we are yoitzer. That's the way a person should behave. You don't have to go crazy. But it shouldn't just end there. That means a year later, when they think about who they have to send the Shalach Manas to, and most people don't need the Shalach Manas, a box of candy and a bottle of wine, most people, it makes no difference in their life. But for somebody who owes Hakaras HaTov, and that's the only time that he can show his expression of gratitude, so how could he not that's something he shouldn't take for granted. And say, well, I thank them, and that's what I did. And I'd rather spend the money on shtus and videos and who knows what, um, and not buy the once a year shalach manas. We have to be vigilant in our expressions of our Atov. And we have to be dynamic in the format of sincerity when we express those thanks and the gratitude to the people that we owe it to. Now, one of the stories was that Avram Avinu went down to Mitzrayim, to Avimelech, and he told his wife, he told Sarah, listen, I realize the level now of the Sar reflection in the water of your beauty. Please say you're my sister. Don't say <coughs> you're my wife. <coughs> Excuse me, because they have no Yerushalayim here. So, oh, a wife? They'll kill me and they'll grab you. They'll take you. So say you're my sister. And indeed, the, the staff of Avimel told him, there's a beautiful woman who just came 
into Mitzrayim, and they took her to his house. And he had said it was, she said that she was a sister. And Hashem then gave him a dream that you come near that woman, you're going, you and everything in your country are going to die out. And the Pasuk says that he woke up shaking. He called, he called his staff, he told over what's going on. And at the end, they parted ways. He gave them, made them very rich, gave them a lot of cattle, a lot of tzom, a lot of everything. And they made a treaty between themselves, Avimelech and Avram. And that they will be peaceful and they will not hurt each other. Now, in the Lushan, Avimelech said that he promises Avram he will be faithful and loyal and keep the agreement. But when Avram spoke and answered and said, yes, indeed, I am committed, and so are my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, we will never, ever betray our trust. So the Mepharshim are curious, why did Avram Avinu give for so many generations a commitment and Avimelech only gave for himself? And they answer and say, that a person who creates atmosphere in his Yiddish shtup, in a Jewish home, there is a transmission of values that go down into the deepest inner sanctum of every neshama and heart of every child and every grandchild with whom he is near, has produced, has part of his family. And the role of how he behaves and how he acts and what he gives over of how to run a house with Torah, Yerushalayim, and Chesed, when that goes into the children and grandchildren, they will respect the commitments of their father and grandfather. Because the value and the essence of their fabric of what has created them and their attitude and their personality and their characteristics and everything about them, they get it from the, their past, from the grandparents, from the parents, that they were enveloped in an atmosphere that it was able to seep into their hearts and neshamas and that they want to emulate and keep on. So Avram Avinu had no problem promising for his children and grandchildren also. He knew if they knew that it was dear to him, it would be. But Avimelech knew, I can't have any influence on my children. And Nebuch, you even see that in our communities, parents will pick up their hands and say, I tried, I did, but it doesn't seem to be holding on the way I would like it to. And that's because, you know, parents can't blame themselves if a child goes off the derrick. 
But in many cases, parents could have been more diligent and vigilant in how they woke up in the morning to run and look at the clock seven minutes to the Zman Krishna. I have to quickly wash and this and that and, and say Krishna. That's the lifelike example for the child that the child should want to say when his father passes on and it's 50 years later to run to look at the clock and also not miss a Krishna, which is a Diorisa. And that goes for all of the other type of actions that children inherit, but becomes, it becomes part and parcel of the essence of their very fiber in it being, of who they are and what they are. So Avramavinu could commit to the children and say, it's lenini ulanechti, but Avimelech could not do that and bring that about in his atmosphere. Now, if you will take a look, Rashi wrote a Sefer, most hold, 95% of all the Roshonim and Achron who quote the Sefer, it was called Hapardes. And Rashi, in Hapardes, asks a question. The three Malachim came, and one of them was to tell Sora that she's going to a year later have a baby boy. And he said, look at the Pasuk, Shov Oshuvelecha, I am going to surely return to you. Vehine vein Sara ishtecha. And in the year, Sara will have a baby. Asks Rashi, where do we ever find that this Malach came back? We don't find him anywhere in the Pasuk. Now, if the Malach said, Shov Oshov Eilecha, that wasn't like somebody who says, yeah, I'll call you next week and you'll never hear 10 years to come from the guy. <laughs> this, is, this is a Malach who said, Shov Oshov Eilecha, I'm coming back. Says Rashi in Hapardes that he didn't come back that next year. He didn't say he's coming back in the, the next year. He said, I am coming back. And then he said, that was a comma after his statement, that in a year from now she's going to have a give birth. But it didn't say he'd be there for the bris or he'd be there to say Mazel Tov. So we find that 38 years later, when Avram Avinu, I mean, Yitzchak was 37 by the Akedah, but this Malach was saying, Shov Oshavelecha, a year before Yitzchak was born. So it was 38 years. And it says that when he took the Machelis, Lishchot as Beno, who stopped him? A Malach. A Malach came to him and said, Don't do it. That he should live on. Says Rashi, that when that Malach came, when he said, I'm coming back, and then, Vehine vein lusara ishtecha, 
I'm coming back. He stopped Avram from killing, and then Vehine Vein Lasara Ishtacha, that he continued his life. Yitzchak Avinu. And it even says, and the Rivid discusses it, that Yitzchak, after the Akedah, went up to Shemaim and lived there for two years. He wasn't here in Olam Hazed. The Rivid talks about it. And the proof is that Avram Avinu was a hundred when he gave birth. When, when Yaakov gave birth, when Yitzhak gave birth to the twins. Because it says, Vayihi Yitzhak ben Arboim Shana Bekachto Esrifki, he's 40. And the Pasuk says, Vayitzhak ben Shishim Shana Beledes Osam, he was 60. So if when he was born, Avram Avinu was 40, and then Yitzhak gave birth to his twins, Yaakov and Esav, when he was 60, Avram Avinu was 100 when they were born. 100. Now, Yitzchak, Vayihi Yitzchak ben Arboim Shana. Okay, now, when we come to Avram, we know that Avram died, he was Nifter, when he was 175. He was supposed to live 180, but because Hashem did not want him to see how badly the behavior of Esau was, that he took him away from this world five years early. Now it says that on the day when they had their bar mitzvah, Yaakov and Esau, that's when Avram Avinu died. Now, if Yitzchak was 60 and Avram was 100 when they were born, a bar mitzvah is 13 years later. So he died when he was 173. 173. Because they were born, he was 100. And 13 years later, he died when they were bar mitzvah. But we know that Avram Avinu was, was Nifter at 175, says the Ravid, that Yitzchak went up to Shemaim and lived in Shemaim for two years, then came back down, he was really 62. But we don't count the years in heaven. So when he came down, he was really 42 when he took Rivka, and he was 62 when he gave birth. And Avram was 102. So he was really Nifter at 175. That's the riot that the riot brings. And I want to conclude tonight's shear with the fact if you take a look in, a, in the Chumash, you will see that on the words Ayei, there are dots. And there's many drushes about these dots. And Chazal say that you're supposed to read it both ways. Aye means 
the Malachim came in and they asked Avram, Aye Sarah Ishtecha, where is Sarah your wife? But if you read the word Aye with all the dots, it's read Ayo. Where is he? So they say that the Pusik tells us that they asked Avram, where is Sarah? But they were really asking Avram where he was. Where are you up to in your life, Avram? Ayo, where are you? And the answer is, Aye Sarah Ishtacha, wherever your wife is. That when you ask a man, how are you doing? Did you give any shiurim? Did you have archim? Did you give tzedakah? Uh, did you go to minyanim? Did you... You want to know the answer? Ayo Avram, the husband Avram? You want to know where he is? Aye Sarah Ishtacha. It depends on where his wife is standing. Because if the wife is an Azer, she's pushing him to the minion. Uh, oh, uh, you're about to fall asleep. Did you did you go to Davenmeyerv yet? Oh no, I didn't. I better go or I'm going to miss the minion. I'm falling asleep. So the wife is the backbone and the cementing factor of the ruchnius of the home. So when the malachim asked, Aye Sarah where is your wife? They preceded it with the way the nekudos are on that word, Aye, Ayo, where are you? Where is he? Where are you up from? And the answer is, Aye Sarah Wherever my wife Sarah is, that's where I am. Have a very good week. Bracha v'hatzlocha. And I want to conclude that this week is November 8th, is Kristallnacht. Kristallnacht happened around... 84 years ago. And that's when in Germany, which was so, there was so much culture and so much everything, became barbaric beasts. And they sent in the armies on Kristallnacht to go burn down, shoot fire into the shuls, destroy the shuls of Germany. Now, it really, Kristallnacht, that word means the shattering of the glass. Kristallnacht, the shattering of the glass. Now, why would we give it such a name? Shattering of the glass, we could have called it the night of terror the night of destruction. Why do we call it the shattering of the glass? Because there was no country in the world at that time that was more cultured. The opera houses were packed. The artworks in every home were the level of... They didn't eat without the white gloves. 
And those who referred to it as Kristallnacht, when it meant the shattering of the glass, the supposed culture, the stature and dignity of a country that they wouldn't even dirty their hands. It, it, it says that when they were cutting off the hands of some of the Yidden, they made sure that they didn't want any blood to touch them, so they made sure that they had the gloves on their hands because they had to be proper. And they said it to one Jew. I mean, isn't it proper? I should be wearing gloves. Am I, am I going to get dirty? So it shows you how low and degenerate a people can become with sitting in the opera house listening to Beethoven if there's no Torah and there's no Yerushalayim. So that's the lesson, just one word. It's not the Parsha, but it happened this week. And I there, November 8th, and therefore I wanted to make that comment about it and the translation of what it means. And it really shows to us that people without Torah could become the most savage as they became. Look what they did. And it's the Torah that elevates us, heightens our dignity, molds us as wholesome human beings with the ability to be able to be productive and positive forces in our community.